Well, good morning, Faith Fellowship. Welcome to our Upper Room service. Once a month, we break from our regular series to remember Jesus through communion, which we will do at the end of the message. So if you are joining us all online, now would be a good time for you to go get whatever you might need to participate with us when we get to that spot in the service. For those of you who are here in person, as Seth has already said, what you need is right there in front of you. You can get it now or you can wait till that time. Well, since this is the upper room, we also invite all of the children to come up front for a short period. So children, come on down. The price is right. I miss Bob Barker. Come on down. You guys can gather here in front of me. You can stand. You can sit. Whichever you prefer. Very good. I have an empty container. All right. And I have rice. All right. So let me ask you guys, who can tell me what priority means? You don't know? Sometimes I don't know either. Priority is a big word. Even the older? You're not old, you're older. Do you know what priority means? I know how to use it. You know how to use priority? Okay. All right. Well, priority is a matter of doing something that's more important. Priority is something that's more important than something else. Maybe your parents have said, stop playing with your toys and do your chores. Right? Stop doing this and doing that. You need to get your priorities straight so that you put the first things first. So this morning, I want to talk to you guys about putting the first things first getting your priorities straight. So I have this empty container, plastic container. We're going to say this represents our life, okay? And we're going to fill it with things that are important. So maybe you can give me some things that are kind of not so important that you do all the time. Maybe they're fun, but they're not really, you don't think that important. Maybe like playing with your toys, um, brushing your teeth. Maybe that's important. Is that important? Eggs. Eggs aren't important. Okay. Depends on whether or not you like eggs. All right. Eggs aren't important. Any other things that aren't important that you think you do? Maybe the things your brothers and sisters do that you think aren't important. Have pets. Cars. TV. TV is not important. That might be a good one. TV. Well, we're going to let this bag of rice represent all the things in our life that really aren't that important to do. And so we're going to fill our life, if I don't spill it all, first, we're going to fill our life with all of those things that maybe aren't so important in our life. They could be fun. That's, that's pretty full. That's a lot of stuff that we get involved with. This is all right. That's just rice. And it represents all the things that maybe aren't so important. Now, can you give me a couple things, four if you're really good, that maybe are a little more important? Food. Got to have food. Food is very important to me. Yes, it is my all-time number one important thing. What else? Shelter. Got to have shelter. I heard family. Yes, what's important to you? Knives. Knives are important to you. Okay. All right. I think we're going to watch this young man as he grows up. Okay. All right. You're my kind of man. All right. Well, we're going to let these eggs represent the things that are important. Hmm? 
Sleeping is important. I like to sleep. We're going to let these eggs represent the things that are important in our life. And as you can see, our life is getting pretty full. But I can still put the lid on my life. Right? I can still get that closed. Things aren't out of control. School might be important. Homework might be important. When my oldest daughter was in school, when she was in the third grade, there was a boy in her class. His name was Gaetano. And Wednesday night, the teacher asked him where his homework was. And he said, teacher, on Tuesday nights, I got catechism, I got little league, I got Boy Scouts. Tuesday's my busy night. I don't have time for homework. That's just not important. The teacher said, well, how can I argue with that? Well, we seem to be missing something, though. What about the number one priority in our life? What's the most important thing in our life? Jesus. That's the same. Well, yeah. You, well, we are in church. So Jesus is usually the best answer to any question that someone asks you. You just say Jesus, you're going to be right most times out of night. So let's put Jesus, let's put God in our life. Ooh, it doesn't fit. What happens when we put all that other stuff in our life first? God doesn't fit. Do you think maybe we could just cut the ball in little pieces and put that in there? No? no? The, ball, the ball's no good if we do that, right? Well, it's the same way in life. If you, if you try to just put a little bit of God in your life, it doesn't work either. But I have an idea. Let's see if we can start over and see if we can put God first. And I'll tell you what, not only are we going to put all the stuff that we already put in, we're going to add even some more stuff. Do you think it's all going to fit if we do it that way? Yes. You do. Yes. I have one yes. I have a couple no's. So let's get all the rice out. And let's start. We're going to take God. We're going to put him in first. Wow. God takes up a lot of room, doesn't he? He's a container hog. He wants all of our life. He wants to fill the whole container. But let's see. If we take those important things and we put them in here. One two, three, and four. Oh, it still fits. I can still get the lid on. Now, let's see if we can get all of those unimportant things, those less important things in here. That's a lot of rice, though. Oh, it's starting to get full. It's still a lot. It's getting close. Let's give it a little tap. Where has God gone? God is in the middle of everything that we do. That's a really good point. You're going to preach my message next week. So look, not only does all of that fit, but I can even add more stuff into my life, and I can still get the little one. When we put God first, everything fits, and even more. There's even room for candy. Uh, give them a round of applause. You can see Miss Joanna. She's going to have some candy for you. <laughs> All right. So before we... Well, there we go. While, while they're doing that, before we... Before we pray, let me remind you that if you missed a message, any message, you can always catch up by going to FFC Sermon or sermons.org. 
where you can view on, you can listen online, you can download the message, you can listen via podcast. You can also go to www.ffcph.org where you can click on the live tab and you can watch a previous message on Facebook or on YouTube. So let's pray and see what God has for us this morning. Father, we thank you for your presence in our lives this morning. We thank you that when we put you first, all things work together for good to those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Father, we thank you that you make that easy. All we've got to do is trust you. Be with us this morning as we open your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning I want to continue where Lance left off last week when he said, in order to be mature Christians, you need to put God first. It shouldn't come as a surprise. God has always required, actually insisted, even demanded that he be put first. And not only first, but he wants exclusive rights to your attention and your life. He wants to be first. He wants to fill up that container of your life. He has shown us who he is in his word and what he expects from his people. After all, he has redeemed us and bought us back with the price of his son, Jesus Christ. After Jehovah, our God, the same God as the God of Israel, delivered them from out of Egypt, he brought them to his holy mountain, and he made a covenant. He made an agreement with them, and he said, I'm going to be your God. Here's the agreement. He said, every one of you has seen what I did to the people of Egypt. You saw how I carried you out of Egypt, as if on eagles' wings, and I brought you here to me. So now, if you obey me and keep my agreement, you will be my own possession, chosen from all the nations. Even though the whole earth is mine, you will be my kingdom of priests and a holy nation. But wait, Jim, that's, that's talking about the Jewish nation. I'm not Jewish. I'm not from them. Well, well, hold on. Check out what Peter writes in his first letter to believers. We just finished that letter in our 9 a.m. class. You missed a great study. We'll be doing another one coming up soon. Peter says these words. See if you recognize anything. He says, but you are a chosen people. And he's writing to believers like you and I scattered among the regions. Royal priests, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. You were chosen to tell about the wonderful acts of God who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. At one time you were not a people. But now you are God's people. In the past, you have never received mercy, but now you have received God's mercy. And amen for that. You see the similarities between those two passages? It's, it's kind of hard to miss. So this morning, I want to look at God's first commandment. All the way back in Exodus 20, he said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. So as we begin, let me make sure that you have the right perspective, not only on this commandment, but on all of these Ten Commandments. Thousands of years ago, God gave us ten boundaries for life, or what you could also tell, ten values for living. God's big ten. Values to live your life by as an individual, as a family, as a nation. And they're called the Ten Commandments. These are not values that are fads, that are going to go out of style, that only last a little while, as long as a presidential campaign. You ever notice every time we have a presidential election, everybody wants to talk about family values and argue over who's the champion for family values. These are values that last, that last forever. 
In fact, they are the bedrock of Western civilization. They are the foundation upon which our entire judicial and legal system is based. They are fair. And if you were to go down to Washington, D.C. today and to the, go to the east entrance of the Supreme Court, the highest court in the land, and look up, this is what you would see. You would see Moses seated holding the Ten Commandments. These commandments are important. So important that God said in Deuteronomy, he says, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. That's pretty much 24-7, 365. He says two things. I want you to remember them and I want you to teach them. So why did God give the Ten Commandments? Well, he gave them not to hurt us, but to help us, not to hinder us, but to release us, not to punish us, but to protect us. When I tell a child, don't touch that stove, am I doing it for their good or for mine? I'm doing it for theirs. And every time God says don't in the Bible, it always is for a positive reason, a positive purpose. The negatives that God gives are always for our own benefit. If you ignore them, they are to your own hurt. You see, God has lined up the universe by certain universal laws. There are certain physical laws by which the universe is governed, like the law of gravity. If you ignore it, you will hurt only yourself. You've got to cooperate with it. If you jump out of a 10-story high window and you ignore the law of gravity, you don't break God's law. God's law breaks you. Jim Hendelson, British businessman, Back in 2009, he bought the Segway company, or at least the European version of it. And the first time I, I read about his tragic passing, I do have to admit it sort of made me laugh a little bit. He died in less than a year after buying the company because he rode a Segway off of a cliff. I, I don't know what he was doing, not paying attention, looking around at the sights. How could he not have seen that he was coming to a cliff? He just rode off a cliff, and they found him at the bottom of a dry riverbed as a result. Gravity. What was he doing? Likewise, there are spiritual laws that if we fail to heed, will also hurt us. God says if you do these ten things, things will go well in your life. But if you don't, you're likely to screw things up. So let's look at the first commandment. The order of the Ten Commandments, by the way, are not haphazard. They are not by accident. God intentionally put the first one first because it is the most important. You shall have no other gods before me. What's the principle? Put God first in my life and in my family. God says, I demand top priority in your life. I'm not going to play second fiddle to anything else or anyone else. He deserves to be in that position. After all, he made you. Everything you have is because of him and came from his good grace and mercy. Well, what does it mean to have no other gods before me? Well, first of all, to have no other gods before me speaks of priority. Nobody in front of me or before me. Nobody ahead of me. Don't you hate it when folks cut you off in line? when they jump the line. If you've been waiting in line for a long time at the DMV or at Aldi, I love to shop at Aldi because the prices are so good, but the lines drive me insane. There may be three lines. You don't know which aisle you're supposed to be in. You don't know if you're in front or if somebody else is in front. You don't know if they cut you off or if you cut them off. But if somebody cuts in front of you in line, you're likely to get angry. 
And unless there is a really, really good reason for them doing that, you know, you want to pull out your shank. It's going to get on because you cut me off. You cut in front of me. God says there is to be no cutting in line in front of me. Nobody coming before me or in front of me. But the Hebrew phrase before me also can be rendered as in my presence. God says, don't bring anybody even into my space. Nobody in my sphere. Anybody ever run into somebody who's a close talker? You know the kind of people I'm talking about? They come up to talk to you and they keep getting closer and closer and you keep backing up. And like eventually you're like, dude, man, you are way too close. You are in my personal space and you need a TikTok all up in my grill. You know, you got to back up. God says, I don't want any other God occupying my space. This is my territory. Don't bring any other God into this space because it is mine. So don't bring any other God in front of me and don't bring any other God into my space. I must be the first and foremost. In fact, I must be the only most of what's going on in your life. I thought there was only one God. Well, there is. The word gods in this verse is written with a small g. He's not talking about another big God. He's talking about little gods. Well, what is a God? A God is anything that, that dominates your life or anything that has control of your life or that you've put first. Can a career be a God? You bet it can. Can a person be a God? Yes. Can football or golf be a God in your life? Can church be a God in your life? Yeah, it can. It could be a relationship. It could be a living arrangement that you just have chosen to do regardless of what God says. You're just going to do it your way. I don't really care what God wants. This is what I'm going to do. Every good thing that God has created for us to enjoy can become a God if we give it first place in our life. God says, wrong, I deserve first place. This is the foundation. Put God first. Those of you who know me, know me best and longest, know that I always am working on some portion of my house. When I get bored, I just decide to knock down a wall and move it here or there, recreate something, build a deck, whatever it may be. Before we lived in Hyde's, we lived in Perry Hall. Before we lived in Perry Hall, we lived in the city where we had a, an old brick Cape Cod that was actually my grandparents' house that they built. One summer, I decided to build a deck. Now, I rarely do things on a small scale. I usually like to start by gutting something and ripping it all down and going back and doing it from scratch. Well, since there was no deck, that made this a little easier, but I decided to go big. And the deck was the entire width of the house, and it stood out from the house about 22 feet at its furthest point. It had an octagonal bump out where I sunk a hot tub into the deck. It was about eight feet off the ground, and so for this deck I had to pour 19 footers, 16 inches in diameter by three feet deep. Now, anyone who's put a garden in in the city knows that after you get through that first two inches of topsoil, it's nothing but red clay and rock around here. So I had to rent a two-man gas-powered hole digger to get this job done. Or in my case, a one-man and a very small wife hole digger. <laughs> it's a five-horsepower lawnmower engine or bigger strapped to a, a 12 to 16-inch drill bit that's 36 inches long. Now, anyone who's operated one of these things knows that one person has to hold it steady with their hand on the throttle while the other person starts it. And as soon as you start the engine, it starts digging. Guess who got to hold the, the drill steady? My little wife. 
my 95-pound, 5-foot wife is holding this thing steady with her hand firmly on the throttle when I started it. And as soon as I started the digger, it starts going. It's doing what it's supposed to do. And before I can grab hold, it starts spinning around. With her still holding on, her hand firmly on the throttle, I did the only thing I could do. I backed way up. I did not want to get hit when she came around again. Now, by this time, she is running in circles trying to keep up with this thing with her hand on the throttle. The next time around, her feet are off the ground, and I'm hollering at her, let it go, let it go, which she did. You would be amazed at the distance she got. I wanted to do it again to see if we could set a new Olympic record for wife pitching. Needless to say, I was on my own after that. It took me most of the summer to get those footers dug. And when I finally got done, I looked back, and all I had was this muddy yard with 19 cement posts sticking out of the ground. I thought, I've spent all this time and energy, and that's all I've got to show for it. But later I learned that's the most important part of the whole process. If your foundation is wrong, it doesn't matter how pretty the structure is, it's going to fall down. I realized that it was not too glamorous or beginning, but the foundation was actually the most important part. Today in America, families are dropping like flies. They're falling apart faster than we can put them together. Why are marriages crumbling? Because they're built on the wrong foundation. It doesn't matter how much money or sometimes time you put into it. If it's not on the right foundation, it's going to fail. Today we want to look at the foundation of putting God first in my family and in my life. I found that every time God gives us a principle he also gives us a promise. And in Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, we read these words. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. The Living Bible paraphrases it this way. In everything you do, put God first. And he will direct you and crown your efforts with success. Here's the principle. In everything you do, put God first. And the promise, he will direct you and crown your efforts with success. This is one of the greatest promises for success that you can find. You want to be successful? Put God first. Wherever you want God to bless, you put him first in that area. So how do I do that? What does it mean to put God first? Well, I took the word first and I, I made it into an acrostic. F-I-R-S-T. And I'm going to give you five ways quickly to put God first in your life and in your family. So let's take a look at those. Number one, in your finances. Start with a tough one. Put God first in your finances. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim with new wine. God says, give me the first part back, and I'll bless all the rest. The Bible talks about money a lot. One of the most uh, prolific things that it discusses throughout the Scripture. So it's no surprise that it may be an indicator of your priorities. It's your checkbook that reveals what's really important to you. What are you spending your money on? If I were to ask you to pull out your checkbook or your credit card statement and pass that to the person next to you, even if they don't know you, they may be able to discern a lot of what your priorities are by where you spend your money. Paul had this to say about what we should do with our funds. I like the way the Net Bible translates it. It says, on the first day of the week, each of you should set aside some income and save it to the extent that God has blessed you. 
so that a collection will not have to be made when I come. See, in the Old Testament, how much you gave was spelled out by percentages. And it, it wound up being a total of somewhere between 25 and 33% of everything that you got was supposed to be given back to God. In the New Testament, Paul blows the lid off that when he says, I want you to look at me. And by how much I blessed you, set aside an amount. Well, that's a whole lot tougher. I'd rather him give me just a number than I could check that off my list. Now by faith, I got to look at what I'm doing and say, God, you blessed me beyond compare. And really, he's done that with all of us. He said to the believers in Rome, he said, when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. There's one thing I've discovered in my short life as a believer. You can't outgive God. It seems to us that the more my wife and I give away, the more God supplies our need. Put God first in your interests. If God's really going to be number one, you've got to put him first in your interest. That means in your fun times, in your play times, your hobbies, your amusements, your recreation. First Corinthians, Paul says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, whatever it is, do it all for the glory of God. Does that include going on vacation? <laughs> Absolutely. You can go on vacation to the glory of God. You can eat to the glory of God. You can play golf to the glory of God. You can go sailing to the glory of God. You can collect stamps to the glory of God. I saw Mr. Dave yesterday at the yard sale looking at, at baseball cards. You can collect baseball cards to the glory of God. How do you do that? In everything you do, you put God first. And you do it with an attitude of gratitude. If you're out playing tennis, you say, Lord, I thank you that you've given me eye-hand coordination so that I can at least keep the ball in the court. My wife and I hit home runs. They're going several courts away whenever we hit the ball back. Everything you do, you do with an attitude of gratitude, and you put God first in that area. You've got to put God first in your relationships. If you want God first in your life, you're going to have to choose your friends carefully. Proverbs 22 Keep away from angry, short-tempered men, lest you learn to be like them and, and endanger your soul. The Amplified Bible puts it this way. Do not even associate with a man given to angry outbursts, or go along with a hot-tempered man, or you will learn his undisciplined ways and get yourself trapped in a situation from which it is hard to escape. Amen to that. What does who my friends are have to do with God being first in my life? Well, I found that you become who you spend time with. They begin to rub off on you. Proverbs 12, 26 says, A righteous, The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. If you spend time with people who take God seriously, who want to be in his word, you're going to become like them. You're going to encourage each other in your Christian walk. Whoever you spend time with, that's who you're most likely going to be like. Those of you who are parents who have children, what type of people are you exposing your children to? Who are you inviting into your home? If you don't provide models for them, they're going to get it from TV or someplace even worse. Put God first in your schedule. Put God first in your schedule, in your time. Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians, he says, So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. 
Well, how do I put God first in my schedule? Well, I ask him to show me how to use my time wisely. You get up in the morning, you make a do list, and you've got 17, th 17 things on that list, but you've only got time for five. How am I going to get this all done? You say, God, I need you to show me which of these is most important. Selection is the name of the game. How do you select? You ask God for help. And by the way, there is always enough time to do God's will. When God made you, he had a plan for your life. If you find yourself constantly with far more things to do than you have time to do, maybe some of those things you need to look at again and see whether or not you should be doing them. God never puts more on you than you can bear up under. And finally, put God first in your troubles. Sounds like an odd one. When you face unexpected problems and pressures, when you have a crisis, who do you turn to? Who do you call? Not going to be Ghostbusters. Not going to be 911. God says, trust me when you've got a problem. Put me first in this area of your life as well. James Taylor wrote these words. He says, when you're down and troubled and you need some love and care and nothing, nothing is going right, close your eyes and think of me, and soon I will be there to brighten up your darkest night. Now, he didn't write this about God, but I think it actually kind of fits in a way. He says, you just call out my name. And you know wherever I am, I'll come running to see you again. Winter, spring, summer, or fall, all you got to do is call, and I'll be there. You've got a friend. In Jesus, we have far more than a friend. Many people, when they're in a tight situation, they find themselves in that spot. Prayer is their last resort, not the first option. They try everything they can physically do on their own. And then they, they resort to prayer as a, last, as a last option. I guess now all we can do is pray. It must be really hopeless if that's all we have left. Prayer shouldn't be your last option. It should be your first. Psalm 50, 15 says this, Call upon me in your day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you will honor me. God says, put me first, even in the tough times. Some people get embarrassed and think, well, I don't call on God when it's a good time. I'm certainly not going to bother him in my bad times. Not only does God say uh, that he invites you to call on him, he also says when you do so, you honor him. You honor him because you trust him. And he gets honor from the fact that you asked him. I love it when my granddaughter comes to me and says, can you help me? Can you help me get the lid off of this? You know, it's a great honor to be able to do those things. Worship team, we're getting close. You can make your way back as you are ready. This brings up an interesting point. How do you know when God is first in your life? How do you know that? Here's how you know. You stop worrying. Worry is the warning light that God is not first in my life at that particular moment. When I start worrying, I begin playing God. I'm assuming responsibility for things He didn't want me to bear. When God is not first in any of these five areas, you begin to worry about them. Jesus said in Matthew's gospel, He said, Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. In other words, put Him first in every area of your life. And all these other things... All of those important things, all of those unimportant things that can really fill up your life, you get all of those things too. Jesus said that right in the middle of a sermon on worry. It's an antidote to worry. Put God first. 
you want to build a successful life and a strong family, you've got to have a right foundation. You've got to put God first. Now, I know today's not Father's Day, and I don't want to devalue the importance of mothers and wives, but I want to say to the men, I want to challenge you men especially to take a lead in your own life and in your family and to make a commitment to do the right thing, the right thing for your own life, the right thing for your family, the right thing for our nation, and put God first in everything that you do. One of the ways we keep God first in our lives is honoring His request to remember the death of His Son, Jesus. We're going to do that now. You want to get that from what's in front of you there, under the seat in front of you. We're going to go into our time of communion. This little cup is a two-part device. On the very top is a foil that you can pull back and you can get to that cracker, loosely so-called, that is there on the top of, uh, of the juice. <clears throat> Let me read for us from 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your son was willing to come willing to be submissive to the will of his Father and that his body was broken on our behalf. We remember him in that sacrifice and that because of it, we can be here today. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying... This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Father, we know that in order for forgiveness of sins to occur, blood had to be spilled. And we thank you that Jesus came and offered his, and that he freely spilt his blood on our behalf. That as Ron likes to say, they strung him high and stretched him wide so that that blood could flow to cleanse away our sin. Father, we thank you that you make it as simple as believing in your son, that he is who he says he is, that he is the son of God, and that by confessing that, we become part of the family. We remember that sacrifice of his blood for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close with a song, and then we'll be off to the picnic. But before we do, as always, I like to end by saying, Faith Fellowship, know that God is for you and not against you. Have a good day in Jesus.